What is Amazing Love? Well, first and foremost, it's a gathering of people who are committed to reach the lost with the love of Christ. I love a quote by R.C. Sproul that says, Reaching out, or evangelism, is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And at Amazing Love, that's just what we're doing. We're a community telling others, we found bread. And not just any bread, the bread of life, Jesus Christ, who alone is able to satisfy a hungry heart. And what did Jesus do? He leaves 99 sheep to find the one who is lost. Taking our cue from Jesus, we do so many things to reach the lost, whether it's an outreach event like our helicopter drop, renting space to Lincoln Way Strings or schools, service projects like Dirty Ministry, or inviting our friends to come to church with us. And what are we hoping they find? We hope they find community, a gathering of people that you can belong to even before you believe. Come as you are, but make no mistake, as you get to know Jesus, you won't stay that way. We hope they find peace. Everything we do, we're going to emphasize the victory that Jesus won for us. We are forgiven. We are loved. Heaven is our home. We're going to find purpose. Something better than a golf game or doing another load of laundry or spending a few more hours at work. What we are doing is storing up eternal treasure. It's something that will matter now and for all eternity. And when we work together, more is done. More people are reached and more are served in a better way. That's exactly what we've seen in the past couple years. We've done more, and God has blessed us with more. We've offered more events, more group offerings, more planning, more excellence, more inviting, all so that more people found Jesus. But I don't know about you, I'm not done yet. We're not done yet. There's a next level still to reach and a greater impact to be had. So now's our time to dream, to envision, to imagine yourself in the 10,000th year of heaven looking back at life and thinking about what you could have done, what you wanted to do. Where will that lead us? That eternal perspective will lead us to maximize these mere moments, or at least want to. To reach so hard so that hungry are fed, so that lost are found, and that we all grow close to the one who is only the only one built to satisfy our hungry hearts. May God bless us to reach toward that next level. So church family, would you pray with me? Let's ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, thank you for these moments where we just get to dwell and, and hear your voice. And, and Lord, as we hear you, strengthen us. Um, you promised that you would accomplish a, a purpose for why you send your word. And so accomplish that in our hearts and in our lives. Let it bear fruit. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Dear friends, starting out with a question. The question is this, how does one accomplish big dreams? And I don't always do this, but this is kind of a follow-up to last week. Last week, if you were here or if you're not here, the, the goal was to dream a big dream that has to do with God. And as you're here today, what, what big dream do you have where God is in the mix? And, and I think some of you might have went back to your workplace and like, I know someone, a coworker who doesn't know Jesus, and my big dream 
I'm going to invite them to Easter. I'm going to invite them to amazing love. Some of you might went away and say, you know what, my big dream, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to be part of this work at Amazing Love and make sure that it's a great expression for our community, that whatever we do is excellent because Jesus is excellent. And so the, the follow-up to the homework is this, well, how, do, how does it get done? You know, where are we going to find the strength? Because again, there's a difference between someone who dreams a dream and actually does it, right? Where do we get that strength? Well, I was inspired by a football player. I don't know if anyone's watching football right now. And uh, his name is C.J. Stroud. He's a shoe-in for Rookie of the Year. And, and you think of a young boy's dream, isn't it, to be an NFL quarterback? And then you see the progression of, like, how hard it is to make it as a QB in that league. They can be great in college, Tim Tebow, and then not always work out in NFL. So C.J. Stroud, Rookie of the Year, by far, and, and what does he know? What is his goal? Oh, this is inspirational. As he's wearing his Jesus shirt, Jesus laid his life on the cross for us. I really believe that. This is bigger than just football. Football is my platform. <laughs> Spreading the gospel of Jesus is my purpose. I don't know about you, but that's inspirational. If, if he can do that on that level, in that moment then maybe I can invite my friend at the gym. <laughs> if he can do that in that moment, with that attention, then maybe I can support the church and come in on a Sunday morning and volunteer. But where does the strength come from? Well, for some of you who are Christian, you have this as an easy answer, right? And many passages come to mind. One of my favorite passages is Psalm 121, one of my favorite psalms, the worry crusher, I call it. And, and Psalm 121 says, when I need strength, where am I going to get it? I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help, my strength come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And we're reminded his arm is not too short, as he made heaven and earth in six days. So can he help me pay my bills? So I think so. <laughs> can he give me strength to work each day? I think so. Can he empower a church called Amazing Love to reach to a next level of influence and impact and, and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? I think so. And that's what we're dreaming about. We're dreaming that whoever would come to amazing love would see the goodness of God, be inspired by his greatness, and learn to call Jesus Lord and Savior. But none of this is possible by us. This is not about any person's strength. This strength must be drawn from the Lord. Any good and perfect blessing, any good gift comes from him. And so our takeaway, as you know, next level strength, where does it come from? It comes from the Lord. You knew that, right? But, but that's what we want to talk about in these moments and really dwell in. How do we get more strength? Because this is what I know. Even apart from amazing love, you have situations in your life. You came in here today weak and weary and saying, I need something. I need something at my school. I need something in sports. I need something in my career that, that doesn't come from me. I need God to strengthen me every day that I live, and he can, and I believe he will. So to get our minds going on um, strength and strong people, apart from C.J. Stroud, if I were to quiz you, 
and, and this is especially if you grew up in church. And if, if I were to ask you, who is the strongest man of the Old Testament? You would say, Samson, good job. All right, yeah. Uh, you passed. You can stay. You can even have a donut. By the way, if you got it wrong, you can still have a donut. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and you think of Samson, and he did incredible things. So there's this one moment in Samson's life. Um, well, I can start here. This is the end. Uh, where he was in a temple, and he was able to push down that temple by his strength. I can't imagine going downtown Chicago and, like, being so strong and, like, pushing down one of the skyscrapers, right? Like, that's, uh, that's another level of strength, isn't it? Um, so, so that's what he did. Uh, another time when he was a boy, there was a lion running at him. Now, ten times out of ten, a lion's running at me, I'm done, Right? especially if I can't run far enough away. Well, he doesn't run away. The Bible says that when the lion came, he tore it apart with his bare hands. That's what the Bible says. And then there's this one other time. This is for all of you action hero people. If you like the Marvel Avenger movies and superheroes and people with the odds, like they're just surrounded by enemies, but somehow they get out. If you like that stuff, one time Samson was surrounded by 3,000, and he picks up a donkey's jawbone, which is not a, a huge weapon in my mind, but anyway. Um, and he kills a thousand people, a thousand people, as he was surrounded by 3,000. And by the way, that was his job. He was the defender of the Israelites against the Philistines, their enemies. So, and by the way, God is in control of life and death, and that was his assignment. Um, but the question is for a man who pushed down a building and tore apart a lion and used a jawbone, where, where did his strength come from? If you read the account, you see it very, very clearly. And if I hone in specifically on what he needed, it said, it said that the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of the Lord works so that he could do these incredible things. And here's the good news. The good news is that the same spirit that strengthened Samson thousands of years ago, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead 2,000 years ago, that same spirit is alive and active and dwelling in us. That's amazing. Because this means that at the end of my life, I can look back and I can see God strengthened me for certain events. And it means now, if today's your day, we're going to rely on the Spirit like nothing else. I'm excited for what you're going to see. The type of character, the type of fruit, the type of person that you can be. Not because of you, but because of Him, so that He gets the glory. It's still possible. And so that's what we want to talk about, is being strengthened by that Spirit. And we're going to get into the Bible. If you have Bibles here, open to Romans chapter 8. Some have said this is the most powerful chapter of the Bible. Um, so if, if you just want to dwell here, I know many Christians have just dwelled in Romans chapter 8. And I want to set up a little bit of how it falls in the Bible, in the context of the Bible. So Paul is writing to Christians in Rome. He has never actually been there, but he's trying to establish his doctrine. And he establishes uh, what is so foundational, which is salvation uh, through faith by grace. Um, he describes what we know as Christians, that we are not saved by being good people, Right, you, you know that. Uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are saved by grace. We're justified freely by the, the 
the works and the merits of Jesus Christ. And so in the beginning part of the letter, he establishes that. We call that justification, how we're saved. But now he's moving on into our lives live for the Lord. And he's letting us know of an internal battle. In Romans chapter 7, he described the battle for a Christian this way. And maybe you can relate to this. See if you can relate to this. He said, as a Christian, when I wake up, the good I wanted to do, I didn't do it. And by the way, the evil that I, I told myself, don't do that. Don't fall into that. I did it. That's Paul post-conversion, a life of sanctification saying, man, I don't have it all together. I have failed. I need a G Jesus in my life. So that was Romans 7. And Romans 8, he's making a case while this battle is still going on. He's making a case for why the Spirit should win out, why the Spirit should strengthen us to live lives for the Lord. So let's get into it now, and I invite you to stand just as we hear the Word of God, Romans chapter 8. So he says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, we'll talk about what that means, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, whew, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Powerful words. Don't worry, we'll explain them this morning. Before you sit down, can you say out louder to your neighbor, may the Spirit strengthen you. May the Spirit strengthen you. Absolutely. Feel free to be seated. So I was thinking this week about uh, different lenses that you look at life through. Uh, I don't know if you have a, a lens, a worldview. And, and a very common dichotomy is this lens of an either optimist or a pessimist. So I thought I'd do a quick quiz. How many of you would say, I am an optimist? I'm not going to ask the other one. Okay, we have a lot of optimists. That's great. So an optimist, um, what does an optimist do? An optimist looks at this glass of water and says, that's half full. The optimist is one who wakes up each day and somehow is able, even in a broken world, to pick out the good things that are going on. The optimist looks at the bear's season and says, yes, okay, <laughs> that got a good response, and says, um, well, at least we won more games than last year, right? That's what the optimist does. The pessimist, on the other hand, looks at the same glass of water and says, half empty. 
The pessimist wakes up each day and is able to keep their mind on the negative things. The negative things overwhelm them. They see what is broken and they can't really get past it. They look at the bear season and they say, we have not uh, rebuilt anything. And if we are rebuilding, it's going to be 2040 before we're in the Super Bowl again. Right? Now, the reason I didn't ask who was a pessimist is because, you know, as a Christian... Uh, something I believe is that I, I had a seminary professor tell me, a Christian is a cautious optimist. Do you believe that? A Christian is cautious because we're real with the brokenness of the world. Like, so we know bad things can happen. It's not just like everything goes my way all the time. But a Christian also knows the God of the universe is on my side. He does even work the bad things for my good. God is with me, God is for me, God is overcome, and because of that, I live as a victor, not a victim. I live with that sense that God's got my back. You know what I'm saying? And that's, I think, even a progression of faith. The progression of faith is to understand I can have confidence today regardless of brokenness because God's got me, right? Well, just as that's a lens of life, so I wanted to talk about two voices or two lenses from our spiritual lives. And the two voices that are called out in Scripture today are either the flesh or the spirit. Let me describe that. The flesh is our sinful nature that we were born with, that we inherited from our parents. The, the flesh is sometimes called the old Adam, and it has to do with sin. Um, the spirit, on the other hand, is the new man, we call it. It's prompted by the Holy Spirit. And uh, Paul picks up the different dichotomy in our lesson, and maybe you saw it, um, in actually verse 5 of this same chapter. Look at this dichotomy. It says, okay, so you can live according to the flesh. And, and when you do that, when you're having life through that lens or that voice, you have your mind set on what the flesh desires, a.k.a. whatever the sinful nature says, that sounds good. But those who live according to the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. And so theologians have looked at this principle, and they created something Latin, um, a, a phrase that I had to learn. I had four years of Latin. Anyway, simul justus et peccator, which means we are simultaneously justified and sinners. So in every one of us, in every one of us, there is a sinner side and a saint side. Now, even the world has picked up on this and has created images like this, right? I got an angel on one side and I got a demon on the other. And, and that's not far from the truth, but we would just call it flesh and spirit, right? And, and by the way, this is going on all the time, this dichotomy, this inward battle. For example, when it comes to weekend plans or what to do with your free time, your flesh has something to say about it, doesn't it? So if I go by the flesh, you know what the flesh says about my weekend and free time? Be happy. Right? Be happy. Maybe you've heard that creep up. Be happy. Whatever you do, be happy. The spirit side has a different take on things. The spirit, informed by uh, Jesus' ways and will, has a different thing. It says, be holy. Be holy. And they're, they're two different voices, right? Do what makes you holy and do... What makes you happy? We maybe have heard those different voices in our mind, in, in our head, in our life, right? Th this happens when people hurt us. So when someone cuts me off on the road, um, I have a lot of flesh in that moment. 
And, and the flesh, you know, when it comes to people of hurt, get them back. You know, and however you do that, I don't know. Uh, I know what I'm tempted to do. Won't go into it because that's from the flesh, right? The Spirit says, no, 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 no. There's a just God. He sees everything. I don't have to get him back because someday God will, right? Revenge is the Lord's. Now, the reason I bring this up is next level is challenging in some regards, this emphasis, because it has to do with stewardship. Part of this emphasis is what are we doing with money? And I don't know about you, but when it comes to the topic of money, the flesh has a lot to say. <laughs> and so when the topic of money comes up, think of what the flesh says. The flesh comes up and says, well, it's my money. I worked hard. I had overtime. I've killed myself for what I got. But the Spirit says, and who gave you your body? Uh, what about your talents? What about the breath in your lungs? What about your brain? What about the opportunities? What about your parents? What about where you live? What about the country that you find yourself in? The Spirit says, actually, um, no, God, God, God's working. <laughs> or think about when it comes to um, finances. Um, another thing is, you know, how should we respond, right? You know, what is our giving mentality? And, and so we, we might say, well, do I have to give? Right? That, that could be one thing. Like, is this necessary? Where's, where's the out? Or I get to give. And, and by the way, that's what we've used at Amazing Love because you can't outgive the giver. See, the prophet Malachi even says, test me in this. And if you rely on me in finances, see if I don't throw open, and you, some of you know this, the floodgates and pour out so much blessing that you don't know what to do with it. Now, that's a promise from the Old Testament that applies to the New Test God in the area of generosity and see if you'll believe what we believe that we get to give because you cannot give him. But, but then when it comes to that level, okay, I, I, I get to give, but now how much should I give? The, the spirit and the flesh are working again. We can either say, what's the minimum? Okay, how, how can I get that blessing with the, the least? Or I can have the spirit of the magi. Do you remember the magi? They saw a king, and, and the king didn't say they had to give any of these gifts. It's not like, oh, to see baby Jesus, here's your entrance fee. And by the way, I hopefully clarified that if you're visiting. There, there's no entrance fee to see Jesus. This is free. This is free. But they knew who he was. And when you see who he is, whew, you're more important than anything in this world. Why wouldn't I honor the king with everything that I am and have. And so, because this is the case, some of the worst worldly advice you will ever get is follow your heart. Trust your gut. Be because if you're a Christian, you understand what's going on with your heart. You understand what's going on with your gut. The prophet Jeremiah in verse, or chapter 17 says, here's your heart for everyone who wants to follow it, okay? So your heart's a liar. And by the way, if you ever want to, like, cure it, if you ever want to say, oh, I, I got it, my heart's all pure now, uh-uh, not this side of heaven. Which means every time you have a gut reaction, every time you have a strong feeling, you can't trust it. Let me say it again. Every time you have a gut reaction, every time you have a heart feeling, I'm telling you, you can't trust it. Because if you really want to be strong, it's our next fill-in. Next level strength is not about trusting your gut. It's about filtering it. 
It's about evaluating it. It's when I feel passionately about anything, I have to always ask, knowing this dichotomy, is this from the Spirit? Or is it possibly from the flesh? And this is what makes life so hard. This is why any Christian can't even claim perfect motivation on any level because I still have this wrestling match in my heart. And maybe you can understand the struggle because we are a group of real people that are passionate, have emotions, and our emotions drive us to certain things. But have your emotions and everything you felt always driven you to righteousness? Have they always driven you to do what is right in God's eyes? Or by chance would you relate with my life that sometimes my passion has been my weakness because I felt something strongly and I didn't pause to filter. I didn't pause to ask, was this from the Spirit? No, 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 no. I just did because if I feel it, well, it must be real. Watch out. And so today is our time to change our mind from what the world has said. Today's the day to repent and say, God, forgive me for those times and also help me to filter. Help me to wrestle with what's going on inside and make sure it's obedient to Jesus Christ. And now Paul tells us great ways to do this. So first of all, uh, we are forgiven through the cross of Jesus Christ. He died our death. He rose again. He lived perfectly in our place. So I can tell you, you are forgiven. You are spotless. You are loved. And Paul reminds us of a reason we should operate towards the Spirit. And that reason is, is found in the verse. So, so he says, The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And I love the imagery here. Paul's imagery is that when you're, according to the flesh, you were a slave. You were living in fear. You were living in guilt and dread. But Jesus came, and you're a slave no more. Jesus came, and now you have the right to be called a son and a daughter of the Most High God. And next level strength, I believe, comes by knowing our identity. That's our next fill-in. Next level strength is, is from our identity. And, um, and to talk about how this could affect how we live our life, I remember a great read called Atomic Habits. I'm not sure if anyone ever read this book. Uh, really good on how to change your life. Uh, practical advice. Really recommended even. And I'll never forget how they talked about change and identity and how they correlate. Their, their example was smoking. Um, so I don't know if you anyone knew who was a smoker who tried to quit and what it actually took to quit. And the illustration was this, that, that if you were a smoker trying to quit, you had two responses if offered a cigarette. They said, you know, for the person trying to quit, one response is, no thank you, I'm trying to quit. But if you hear that response, how does that person still identify themselves? No thank you, I'm trying to quit. Their identity still is as a, as a smoker. That's who I am, but I'm trying to quit it, Right? Whereas true progress came when, when people said, no thanks, I don't smoke. Do you see the different identity? How did they now see themselves? I'm not a smoker. That's not something I do. 
Go with me on a spiritual level. When we're tempted to sin, think of the response, no, thank you, I'm trying to quit. How am I identifying myself? I'm a sinner, right? Whereas if I'm tempted by that sin and I say, no, thank you, I don't do that. I identify myself as a child of God. And that's who I am. See, when you and I live according to the Spirit, that's our truer identity. That's when we're living and acting as the children of God. In fact, when we sin, that's not even us. And I'm not condoning, that's not my point. My point is that that's not our firm identity. Every time I sin, that's not who I truly am. God has redeemed me from that. God has rescued me from that. He's given me a greater purpose and a greater identity. And so, yes, next level strength is remembering who I am. You and I are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You and I have been set free. And I was thinking of this uh, when it came to the story of the prodigal son. So some of you know the ending, right? At the end of the prodigal, he comes back to the father, and he has this idea that, you know, he'll just offer to be a slave, right? You know, I, I don't have the right to be called your son, so I'll just be a slave. And yet he gets there, and the father does something beautiful. The father says, no, 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 you're my son. Kill the fattened calf, get a ring, get new sandals, put the best robe on him. My son has returned. Can you imagine if his response was, but dad, I wanted to be a slave. Doesn't make sense, does it? When you're offered the true rights of a son. Now go with me here. Every time we sin, aren't we going to our Heavenly Father and saying, but Dad, I wanted to be a slave. That's every moment. We're asking for chains, not freedom. We're asking for fear, not peace. And so next level strength is remembering we are the children of God. Let's just act like it. Another gospel motivation that Paul draws out um, that I want to talk about in, in the frame of an entrance fee. The frame of an entrance fee. So go with me here. Um, Disney World is very popular, and you may have uh, known this, that the entrance fee to get into Disney has changed. So I was reading in, in 1976, the entrance fee to get into uh, Disney World was about $6. It's not $6 anymore. Um, some days on peak seasons, it's over $200. You know, that's just to get in, not to buy a $50 piece of pizza. Um, you'll do that later. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but if you ever face a high entrance fee, do you, do you ever have anyone in the family who, if they pay that money, wants to get their money's worth? Does anyone, did anyone grow up with someone like that? So if we're going to pay $200, we are going to make sure we get our money's worth. Which means if you're a kid in that family, there is no complaining. You're at Disney World. We will be happy standing in line for three hours. It means don't even bring up going home early. We are staying till fireworks. We are going to see the laser light show on the Cinderella Castle. There is no other option. We paid $200 to be here. And as a kid, you just shake your head. Yes, yes, yes. Disney World. You know what I'm talking about. If you pay the money, you got to get your money's worth. So Paul, he reminds us today how much Jesus paid 
so that we could be sons and daughters. And what was that price? Was it $200? There was no greater price. Jesus suffered and he died. He was tortured. The death on the cross was the worst way to die. Also that we could trade places. So he could be considered a sinner and we would be considered righteous. And it was free to us, but remember, it was not free. It just comes free to us. And Paul, in view of that gospel, in view of that entrance fee, he says, you don't even have the option of living against the flesh or the spirit. No, he uses a different O word. It's not an option like, what should I do? He, he puts a different terminology. He says, brothers and sisters, no, I don't have an option. What do I have? I have a, can you say that? Obligation. We are indebted. And again, it's not that we buy our salvation. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the gospel's saying. It just means that from what Jesus paid, we're not going to waste that, are we, friends? We're not going to waste it. We're going to get our money's worth being Christians, maximizing the mere moments not that we have at Disney World, but that we have on planet Earth because we're just not here long and soon the fireworks are going to go off and soon they're going to say, you have to go home. And in the meantime, man, do we have work to do. We have a mission to accomplish. We will remember that cost. And so next level strength, it comes by counting the cost. It's remembering, yes, Jesus did this for me for free, but it wasn't free. He paid dearly that I might have this right, that I might have this spirit, that, that the spirit would dwell inside of me. And I bring this up because counting the cost is a double entente. We not only count the cost that Jesus paid, but we should count the cost of discipleship. And I've said it numerous times. We don't save ourselves. It's very clear in the Bible. We don't save ourselves by being good. But we do have what Paul said, obligations. We do have responsibilities. You know, Pastor Jeff will be back next week and he'll talk more about that. We're going to talk about next level obstacles. We're going to be real about all the things standing in our way. But for me, I, I drew my take from um, our pastor's conference this week about counting the cost because it was all about those who serve in our armed forces. And by the way, do we have any veterans here today? Any veterans? Can we just pause and do what is appropriate and thank our veterans? And our conference was looking at our veterans, those who have served, and saying, man, they, they paid a dear cost. And sometimes that means they are dealing with certain things. Uh, we talked about trauma and PTSD. And um, advice given to pastors was don't try to think you understand. You don't understand unless you're at war. Don't, don't try to do that. But rather have some tools along with the gospel to try to help our brothers and sisters who have served and when it comes to those serving in the military, isn't it true that there is a cost there? And it's probably also true that um, as someone considers military service, they should count the cost. They should understand that this is, this is a price, right? And the reason I bring this up is because even though you're not enlisted in our United States Armed Forces, do you know that Scripture says you're actually enlisted in God's army? 
that's what Paul was referring to as our obligation. You're actually enlisted as the church militant to fight a spiritual war. And it's a war I've already described is going on every day internally. And it's a war against the world that says, follow your heart. It's a war against our neighbor who encourages us to do things that are not from God. It's a war every day that we live. And we should count that cost because when we do, we won't take for granted the moments that we get to huddle together as church family and say, oh, but don't worry, God's on your side. We won't take for granted the rallying points we have to hear from our commander-in-chief on how to win that war. We won't take for granted all the opportunities that are in front of us with the mere moments of our lives. And so, yes, we should count our cost. But how are we strong enough for any of this? Well, I'm going to end where we started. We get strong through the Spirit. Let me remind you about the Spirit. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. God reminds us today that as Jesus rose, so you have resurrection power. You and I have that Spirit dwelling in us. And so that we know the great men and women of God, they did not accomplish great things because of who they were. They accomplished great things because of what the Spirit did inside of them. Samson and C.J. Stroud, they got to that level, not by themselves. They got to that level because God is strong in them and that same Spirit can be strong in you. So what is our next step if our strength comes from the Spirit? Well, it has to be by feeding the Spirit. This past week, we had three who were baptized. Oh, there's nothing better. The washing of rebirth and renewal so that they can receive the Holy Spirit is just amazing. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper in Jesus' true body and true blood, in a real and tangible way, gives us forgiveness. Oh, I'm leveling up. When I go to that Bible app and I, I read that, that daily reading and I come to church and I soak up the gospel, what, what's happening in my heart and in my life? I'm getting a strength that wasn't from me, wasn't about me, so that I can give God glory. Dear friends, big dreams are possible. But they're not possible because of us. They're possible because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? He's still here. Let me pray for you. So, Heavenly Father, we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. But you've given us power and the instruments necessary to win. Strengthen us by your Spirit to be able to filter our feelings and respond to your gospel according to our true identity. Help us to remember that the greatest act was done by your strength. You have saved us by your cross and resurrection. Thank you, dear Lord, that resurrection power is dwelling in us. Give us that confidence in Jesus' name. Amen. And so something we do at Amazing Love to encourage this body of believers is confess a common faith. And you're encouraged to join with us in a confession of faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord 
who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.